Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. We're just going to keep replaying that until you get it, okay? How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? It's good to see you. If we haven't met before, my name is Brandon. I'm uh, surprisingly the same guy that was just on the screen. And I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Emma. And uh, yeah, <laughs> Emma always gets quite a reaction, actually. Um, and as I'm just looking up, we actually have some great friends here. I'm sure you do not want me to point you out whatsoever. But it's going to happen anyway. Um, we have some people that actually are on um, Cornelia's uh, staff team, which is really exciting. Laura uh, Barnes is here uh, with her husband, Kent. Nice to see you. And uh, we also have, and this is, um, this is really exciting for me, and also nerve-wracking. Thank you for texting me and giving me a heads up. But we also have Steve and Beth Fleming with us this morning. Yes. And if you're not sure who Stephen Beth Fleming are, I mean, I've mentioned them quite a bit from this platform uh, in the past, and, and even especially in the near past, but they actually started Koinonia Church 38 years ago. I believe it was 38 years ago. And um, we have a very similar trajectory to Koinonia. Uh, I think one of the first places that they met was a place that we um, have vowed we would never go back to, which is the basement of Waterloo Inn. This is where they got their start. That's where we've got some of our start here in the morning service. And uh, you could have given us the heads up what kind of place that was before we went there. But um, I mean, Em and I are really thankful for um, Steve and Beth in our lives. Um, they've been there through a lot of significant moments for us. When Em and I were ordained, um, they were the ones that were actually praying for us. Um, when ARC, the church planning network that sent us out um, to plant Slate Church, commissioned us to go plant Slate Church. Uh, Pastor Steve was in the room actually laying his hands on Emma and I as we were commissioned to go actually plant this church. And uh, so we just, we're really thankful for you. And I'm not going to stay here too long, but it's just really good to have you here. And like I said, you could have texted me to let me know you were going to be here so I'd be less nervous. But here we go. Um, We're in a series right now called um, A Big Deal, Uh, The Big Deal. And the reason that we are in this, uh, ser- uh, this series is because as Christians, we tend to make a big deal about a lot, a lot of small things. And uh, that's not the kind of um, church that we want to be, quite frankly. We want to be a church that majors in the majors and minors in the minors. And this is something that we've committed to being as a church ever since we started as a church. Um, but it's something that we're committed to being, especially moving into the future, you know, we live in, in uh, very interesting times. We live in times where there's a lot of different um, opinions that are out there, a lot of different uh, people telling you what you should and shouldn't do, um, not just in your lives, but also with your social media. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to be something or to say something or to believe something or to hold something near and dear that we're not even quite sure if that's what we agree with. And um, as we live in these times, it's important to continue to center ourselves around the things that Jesus centered himself around. Um, He was the center that we center ourselves around. But the way in which Jesus lived his life, the way in which Jesus taught, the way in which Jesus um, lived his life here on earth is an example for those of us right now in our regular day lives um, for how we should live, how we should think, how we should believe in the midst of really interesting times. 
And so this morning, I'm going to teach on something that hopefully you have picked up traces of uh, through attending here at Slate Church. Um, and if you've been a leader here at Slate Church, you should be able to actually repeat this message almost word for word. Why? Because this is a central idea of what it means to be a part of this church. It's a central idea of what it means to carry things in this current culture and believe that God wants to do new thing once again here in Canada. So we're going to find ourselves in the book of John, John chapter 1. And um, I'm going to read the first bit of John. And in some ways, when you read the first book of John, the first few verses, um, if 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 you haven't read it before or you haven't been familiar with this passage, it almost sounds like a riddle. Like when you're reading this passage, you're like, okay, what's really going on? And yet what's going on in this passage is quite simple. And it, it becomes a lot more simple when you read it, understanding that when John refers, refers to the word, he's referring to Jesus. This word, um, this word, word, <laughs> the, 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 this, uh, this usage that John is using, the word is literally defined in the original Greek. It's referred to as logos which is the understanding of the universe or putting logos being the putting um, the, the practical expression of truth that this is literally what logos means. And so when we read the word word in, in just a second, what we're, what we're reading about is, is Jesus himself. So let's read it. John chapter one, verse one, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So any questions about whether or not Jesus was God, it's, it's answered here in John chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Uh, without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. Now this John was John the Baptist. It's not the John that's actually writing this text. Again, you might already know that, but for those of us that are re reading this for maybe the first time, we're talking about John the Baptist who was baptizing lots of people. He baptized Jesus as well. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. John testified concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Why don't we pray before we jump into this this morning? Father, we thank you that we get to gather in this space um, this morning. Father, we thank you that, um, that when we come here and we seek you, 
um, that we find you. And Father, we pray for those of us that have ears to hear, let us hear. Those of us have eyes to see, let us see. Father, we pray that this morning as we read from your word and we explore um, what it looks like to hold truth in a, in a society that doesn't, doesn't always seem to want it. Father, we pray that we would learn um, how to hold it with grace and truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, one of the things that I'm going to be doing um, uh, this morning with this passage is I'm going to be using it as a launching pad to visit a bunch of other passages within Scripture. But we're using this as our launching pad because it gives us a bit of a clue on how to hold truth in a society that doesn't necessarily want truth. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but uh, increasingly so, I'm having a difficult time just having normal conversations with people in my sphere. Um, now, these people in my sphere uh, range from uh, uh, people that I work with, which is a little bit easier, to be honest. Um, uh, should be, considering I work here at the church. Um, but people, uh, that, that neighbors, um, friends, family. And the reason for this is because um, we live in a, a day and an age where truth is, is quite frankly, relative. It's subjective. It's, it's whatever the individual host, the, the person, uh, wants to believe truth is. That is their truth, and we celebrate that. And I don't, mean, I don't mean we as in we as a church celebrate the fact that everybody holds their own truth. I mean the world that we are living in celebrates that everybody has their own truth. And as long as they're being true to themselves, then, then, then that's, that's really good. But the problem with this is that, um, is that at some point, inevitably, if you get more than three people in a room, one person's truth is going to infringe on the truth of somebody else in that room. And when that begins to happen, we have to ask ourselves the question, now what? Like, what do we do on the other side of three different people holding different truths about a significant matter? Whose truth do we live into? And how can we live in harmony when the only thing that has been holding us, um, uh, unifying us up until this point is the fact that we all have a truth that we're trying to live into? And so this is the confusing way in which we're living right now. And the reason we're living in that space is because we've decided to reject um, objective truth. Uh, we've decided to reject a truth that holds us to a standard in which we can, uh, we can analyze things from and have discussions from and, 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 uh, and analyze the world in which we're living in. And, and because we've rejected that ruler stick or that measuring stick, so to be, speak, um, what we have is we have a bunch of people walking around uh, living into their own truth. Now, uh, I think most of us have, have run into this to, to some extent. But the problem is, is that we are living in interesting times where we can't actually say what is true and what is untrue. And that gives us difficulties in interacting with the world that we live in because we can't just assume that everybody is on the same page. And yet what we read in 1 John is that Jesus came to the earth and that he was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And what we are getting... That's embarrassing. Mitchell McCracken. I'll answer it. Yes? It's, it's, not, a, uh, it's not a phone call. Um, but it might be an alarm, so maybe somebody could grab this from me so that it doesn't keep going off. Let's all really give it to Mitchell when he comes back up on the stage. See, Mitch is one of these guys that likes subjective truth. And uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't know a guy that's seeking objective truth more than more than Mitchell. Um, but what we see is, is that actually um, God is, is entering the world not with a subjective truth. He's, he's entering the world, the, the earth, as the truth. 
Uh, through Moses, the law was given, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And what this says to all of us in the room right now is that we have to hold on to some level of objective truth if we are going to find ourselves having productive conversations, not just with the world, but also with one another. Uh, one of the things that should be present within the church of Jesus Christ that is not present outside these doors is an agreement upon what is true and what is not true. That is something that should be present in this room. Because if we're going to interact with a world that calls everything subjective and your truth is your truth, my truth is my, and we're trying to interact with that, we have a long way to go. In fact, I think for a lot of us, when we're interacting with the world on a variety of subjects, whether that be what we went through in the pandemic, things like Black Lives Matter and vaccinated, unvaccinated, trucker convoy, what else were we hit, at, hit with during that whole season? All of these things sought to divide, not to unify the world around us. In fact, it sought to do the same thing in the church because as much as the world might be disunified in what is going on, the enemy ultimately doesn't care about what's going on in the world, but rather cares that the church is not unified. And so in the midst of this, as we talk about all these things, there might seem to be a great chasm between our ability to express truth and the world's ability to receive truth. And yet what I know about walking out the truth in grace and humility as Jesus exemplified for us and John alludes to in chapter one is that the way that this is possible is one step at a time. I heard this fascinating story about how um, they built the first bridge across the Niagara Falls um, Canyon or, or um, yeah, would that be called the Canyon? Gorge, that's right, thank you. Um, I heard this fascinating story. They, they, Niagara Falls, um, U.S., Canada, it, it doesn't really matter, hosted this competition to see who could fly a kite across the Niagara Gorge. And uh, so all these people were, were basically flying kites. And I don't know what the winner got, but um, I think the winner got a, a prize money and their name in the paper or something like that. So there's all these people that were trying to fly a kite across the gorge before there was ever a bridge that was there. And... Um, what ended up happening is there's this 10-year-old child, and uh, this 10-year-old child uh, flew his kite, and it actually ended up on the other side of the gorge, and he won the prize, and everybody's celebrating. That's really, really exciting. And what they did after he flew the kite across the gorge is they took this thin little um, string, uh, string from the kite, and they tied a, a slightly thicker amount of string to it, and they pulled that back across the gorge. Once that re, uh, got to the other side of the gorge, what they did is they pulled a slightly bigger rope across to the other side. And once that one was on the other side, they pulled a slightly bigger rope across the gorge. And once that was done, they pulled the first steel cable across the gorge. And once that was done, they pulled a slightly bigger steel cable across the gorge until they had the thickness they needed to start building a bridge. Now, the step to getting from one side to the other and building a bridge started with a small little kite string, which I think to us in this room is an example of the fact that when we're talking about in, in interacting with the world in front of us with something like objective truth, we don't start by hitting them over the head with the, with the whole manual. Does that make sense? But we actually start as Jesus did, walking amongst the people, but understanding that Jesus did something that all of us need to learn to do ourselves. And it's little by little that we start establishing truth in the spheres that we find ourselves in. So let's take an example um, uh, in which Jesus did this. In Matthew chapter 5, we get this beautiful discourse that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is, um, is a beautiful discourse because it's one of Jesus' longest um, messages that he spoke. It's um, one of the most well-documented messages that Jesus spoke. 
And it's a message in which he was teaching his disciples with the awareness that there was a crowd behind them. And one of the things that Jesus teaches on that our world, even now, has a hard time agreeing on is, um, is the issue of, of adultery. Now, this is really unfortunate because this is the page that Lucy ripped out of my Bible. And I forgot about that. And so I'm going to read it off my phone because that, with the current light, is, is nearly impossible to read. Um, and so he speaks on something that, that is quite dis- divisive in our world today. He, sa- he says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? Because for a lot of us, when we hear Jesus and we think about Jesus, and so many of us have different images of what Jesus would have been like if he walked, um, uh, walked on the earth today. A lot of us picture a hippie that loves to just hang around with farm animals, the more delicate, the better, and loves to just call children unto himself. And, and interestingly, that, that for, for those of us that have that picture, um, it's, it's wrong in many instances, right? And we understand Jesus as this burden lifter. And yet what we read about when Jesus is talking about the issue of adultery is that he doesn't actually make the burden lighter in terms of the truth that he's speaking. He actually makes it a little bit heavier. He says, you heard that it was said that uh, you shall not commit adultery. And we go, okay, this is Jesus. He's gentle. He's nice. He's kind. We love Jesus. He's so, he, he hangs around farm animals all the time. We love him. He's about to make the truth easier, more palatable to us. And yet what we see is Jesus ramps up the expectation. He says, but I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I go, wait, 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 wait a second. We went from if you actually commit the act of adultery, you're committing adultery, to if you just look at someone lustfully, you're committing the act of adultery. Who is this Jesus and how is he possibly kind when he is just la- just loaded on the expectation of sin on our lives? So this is the standard in which Jesus sets. But when we actually see Jesus live out this standard in John chapter 7 with a woman actually caught in the act of adultery, we see this truth applied as John talked about in John chapter 1, this word full of grace and truth interacting with the very issue of adultery in front of them acted out very differently. By different, I just mean differently than maybe the words jump off the the, the page initially. What we see is Jesus is brought this woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, I want to be clear. We, we, we are right to assume that this woman hasn't just looked at a man lustfully. She's actually been caught, like, you, you can finish the sentence. There's kids in the room. Okay? Caught in the act of adultery. She is brought to Jesus, and the religious people are like, what do we do with this woman that's caught in the act of adultery? Moses said we should stone her. Jesus, in the midst of this, said, he, was, he who is without sin can cast the first stone. And what we see is that the religious leaders in front of this woman begin to leave one by one, the oldest to the youngest. Why the oldest to the youngest? The oldest understands that they have sin um, much in their lives much more than the youngest. It takes younger people a little bit longer to understand that we are sinful, right? So they eventually walk away. Jesus is there writing in the sand as this woman is sitting in front of, or standing or sitting in front of him. And as everybody leaves... He looks at the woman and says, has nobody condemned you? And she looks at Jesus, 
Savior, the Messiah, and says, no, Lord, not one. So here's the moment where Jesus, without sin, can cast the stone, right? And yet what he says to her next surprises everybody. You said that adultery isn't just sleeping with somebody that's not your spouse, but it's actually looking at someone lustfully. He's about to kill her, right? And yet what Jesus does in this moment is he says, well, then neither do I condemn you. In the midst of, in the midst of truth, Jesus is exemplifying so much grace. <laughs> in the midst of truth, Jesus is exemplifying what truth looks like in the real world. And for a lot of us, we go, yes, this is the Jesus I love. He's kind. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn the woman. He doesn't do that. He shows acts of love. We love this. And yet Jesus loves her. But at the very end, what does he say? And go and sin no more. Okay. So what I've done is I've, I've hopefully laid a bunch of groundwork to say a few things quickly to us as a church. If you pay attention to what is happening often within arguments around truth, even within the church, what we see is often the ways of Jesus are pitted against the words of Jesus. And one of the things I want to establish for us this morning is that we are going to be a church that not only follows the words of Jesus, but we're also going to be a church that follows the ways of Jesus. Okay, so often within the church, one of the things that seeks to divide us is a lot of us will take the ways of Jesus and we'll go, he's so kind, he's so, he's so nice, he's so patient, he's so, all of these, so compassionate. And, and in many ways, what we'll see, even in our society today, is that some churches will, will build their entire identity on the ways of Jesus, the fact that he was kind, compassionate, he was patient, all of these different things. And we'll build our entire identity on the fact that Christians are kind. The problem with that is, is often in the midst of just trying to be kind to the world that we live in, is we miss out on the vital truth that Jesus speaks. On the other hand, what we have is sometimes as Christians, we just want to be people that are stand on the word of God. We are truth bearers. We hold, to the, we hold the line and we hold the truth in, in our society. And the problem with this stance is that often we miss the fact that Jesus living out the truth looks very different than words written on a page or words spoken out of, out of a man's life. And so what we often see is people holding the truth against people, almost hitting them over the head with truth. <laughs> in a way to make sure that we are holding to the truth in our society and again, missing this great chasm that stands between us and the world that desperately needs the truth that we have. We must be a, a church that is able to hold on to the very standards that Jesus holds while living them out with grace in the, in the midst of the world that we live in that does not understand the truths that we hold. This is not about saying that we don't have objective truth. And this is not about saying because we have objective truth, we need to go and, and, and um, berate people that don't understand the truth that we have. This is about holding the truth in grace. As John chapter one says, Moses gave the law, but Jesus demonstrated for us what truth and grace looked like lived out here on earth. Jesus was God with skin on. God in person personified. Jesus is the one that walked the earth and showed us that this is what it looks like to live this out. A couple more examples. Think about in Exodus chapter 20, we get the Ten Commandments, the Word of God, the standard of God. And one of the things that God says to the Israelites is, thou shall not steal. This is a standard that God has set up. It's not something that we're going to veer away from. It's something that you might want to argue about. Oh, is that really what God said until something's stolen from you? Then all of a sudden, the standard of people not stealing stuff is all of a sudden important, right? 
And yet what we see in Jesus' last, uh, in, in, in the last um, breaths that he took while walking here on earth, he's on the cross and a sinner, we call him the thief on the cross, a criminal, recognizes who Jesus is. And in that moment, Jesus looks to him and says, today you will spend it, you, 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 will, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus had a standard, and yet his forgiveness meets the fact that we don't meet the standard. So here's one of the things that's, that's frustrating to me as a pastor and a leader that is attempting to not just hold truth, but hold truth in grace, is that this whole idea that John talks about in John chapter 1 isn't very marketable, is it? It's not marketable. You know who gets the headlines? Those that disregard God's truth, but I'm a Christian, and we're just here to call, and, and so they go and participate in things that the church was not called to participate in. And when they're interviewed as a Christian, well, this is, this is you know, we do this because we love people and we accept people. That's, that, that's marketable because this is love without restraint. What's also marketable is we stand on truth no matter what, and we'll bang you over the head with it. And that's marketable for the person that's angry and, and upset with the world and needs something to do with their anger. Just go to a place that just tells me truth all the time. That's marketable to the Christian that, that has a bent towards anger. And so what we see, and I've, I've met, met mentioned this from this platform before, but we have places for people that are angry. We have places for people that don't have a backbone. But the thing in the middle isn't very marketable, is it? One that is able to hold on to the truth that is written within scripture in a way that loves society beyond the fact that they don't know the law that we have been given. And yet I believe that that is what we are called to do as Christians, is to uphold the standards that God set before us. To uphold the things that God has done. To uphold the words that God spoke. But to do it in ways that exemplify the love of the Father. To not back away out of cowardness or cowardice, but actually to lean into all that God has, God has said in front of us and to begin to bridge the chasm that stands between the truth that God has given us and the world that is desperately needing truth. You know, one of the things that I am thankful for, and I wouldn't say proud of because I would never want it to be, yeah, pride comes before a fall. One thing I'm thankful for though within our church is that we have been able to breach a lot of different topics in our church that have sought to divide us over the last decade. And we've held on to these things and we've spoken about them from the platform and all been able to walk away from, more, away from those times more unified. I think of about a year and a half ago when we were able to walk through, it, it kind of just happened this way, but when we talked about homosexuality in one service and then the very next service we talked about issues of uh, uh the, the issues of, of transgender and uh, the the week after that we actually talked about abortion because um roe versus wade was overturned in the middle of of those two weeks and we talked about all of these things and one of the things that i was pleasantly surprised honestly surprised was the word that I, that i would give is that every one of us were able to walk away more understanding of what god was up to his standard that he has set but also a love a deep love for the world that we live in this is the church that we want to be. Not a church that is divided or dogmatic or allows the loudest voice to win, but a church that is seeking to follow the way and the words of Jesus. What does it look like when you're interacting with the loud voices in your life to say, no, what does Jesus say about this? How did he handle this truth? 
One of the things that I get frustrated about as a pastor is when the loudest person in the room seems to, to, to steer the conversation in a, in a certain direction. There's some of us in the room right now, we need to stop trying to get our voice heard and we need to start communicating the voice of Jesus, the ways of Jesus. Why is that? Because it's not important that people understand what I have to say. It's more important that people have, uh, that, that, that they understand what Jesus has to say. And what we see in Jesus is a man, a God man, that was able to hold on to truth but live it out with so much grace. Okay. How's that sound? I could end it right here, and I know that they're, they're ready to come up on keys, but can I just, can I just mention a few other um, things that, that, that I, I hope that we don't fall into as a church? Um, what, what, I, what I actually want to address, and in many ways, if I was to give this a different title than the words and the ways of Jesus, I would call it false dichotomies. Um, everybody you understand the, the idea of false dichotomies. It's essentially the idea of opposing two things that ought not to be opposed, right? Um, one, of the, one of my uh, favorite quotes that I came across this past week was from Francis A. Schaeffer. And he says this. He said, the central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism. These are, these are big terms and labels given to the intellectual uh, bent or, or niche of the society that we live in, nor the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism, nor the threat of communism, nor even the threat of rationalism and all the monolithic consensus which surrounds us. Uh, nor, I would add today, postmodernism or materialistic consumerism or visceral sensualism or whatever. Now, some of you are like, what did he just say? These are all the labels given to our society today. He says, these aren't actually the issue. And what Francis A. Schaeffer argues is he says, all these are dangerous, but not the primary threat. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not the problem, but what they do is the problem, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. Now, I wouldn't quite agree with the fullness of that last statement, but I would agree with the idea that when the church tries to carry out the truth and the ways of Jesus in its own strength and starts to become proud of the way in which it holds it, that's where we lose our strength. But the, 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 the power of the church of Jesus Christ is in following the Holy Spirit into grace and truth in all of the places that we find it. And this is something that we want to build our church on. Well, we want to... <clears throat> We want to be a church that is able to interact with friends and family and neighbors and, and all those around us in ways that actually compels them to meet Jesus Christ. We understand in this room, right, that not a single person here can save anybody else. That is only work that is done by Jesus Christ. In fact, we can't even draw men unto Jesus. Jesus does all that work himself. But we can do a lesser or a better job at being the hands and feet, at being representations of Jesus Christ. And we can do a better job at shining our light or a worse job at shining our light. And I want to be a church that is good at shining the light of Jesus Christ. There are many moments that I interact throughout my week where I go, man, the, the truth of Jesus needs to come into this. And that's helpful. Because in the midst of the world that doesn't have truth, the, 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 the most blessed thing to have is a drink of the cool water of truth in the midst of a desert that is lacking for the truth that we so desperately need. 
And yet I also want to be a church that knows when to uh, apply patience and compassion and love to the friends and family that we interact with. See, what we have called, we have been called to do is not to be mouthpieces for a political party or a right-wing or left-wing agenda. We've not been called to regurgitate what we hear on CNN or Fox or from your favorite YouTuber. We haven't, we haven't been called to just follow people on social media and try to find ourselves in the middle of all of the voices that are coming at us and call ourselves balanced. We have been called to search the truths of scripture and allow the spirit to speak to our hearts and live this truth out in a world that desperately needs it. And what I can tell you is that the only way in which this doesn't work is if we don't do it at all. You might feel like you mess it up at times. You might feel like bringing that up at Thanksgiving might actually topple the whole dinner or might split the family, whatever else it might be. But the, the last thing we should do is to hold back from the truth that Jesus has given us. The last thing we should do is to water down the things that God has given. The thing we need to, to grasp onto is to hold grace and truth in tandem in a way that, draw, that allows Jesus to draw men and women unto himself. trying to think of just as we close here how much more we should jump into should I mention just one more time as we are months away from uh, finishing Slate Center that I am thankful that we are going to have a building where I can speak longer than 25 minutes I'm getting so tired of these time constraints of theaters I am like I'm so over them um, at one point I was like I don't know if we're going to renovate Slate Center and um and then after a few weeks of being here in the theater and at the other theater, I was like, no, we're gonna definitely renovate Slate Center so we can just have services as long as we need them to be. Listen, I have a whole part two to this message that maybe I'll share at some other point. It's about essentials and non-essentials of the faith. It's about the way in which we divide over the way in which we want to follow the ways and words of Jesus. But I, I, don't, I don't think I'm gonna share those this morning. Can we stand up in, these, in this place? Instead, what we are going to do with our remaining time, and I want to use all of the remaining time we have available. So worship team, please, please lead us um, in spirit back into worship. When I look around at the world that we live in today, and um, I find myself in Christian environments, one of the things that we like to talk about is that the world around us is dark. But one of the things that I, and one of the reasons I love to hang around students and youth especially, is they're constantly flipping the narrative like, yeah, but, but light shines brightest in darkness. And it's like the emphasis of that equation is on the fact that light is, light is better. And um, as we finish off this service, the debate that was going on in my spirit, it's like I have a whole 50% more of the message that I want to speak thing going on in my spirit is essentially like, God, can I, can I say it better or can you? And I know what the answer is. But man, I'm, I'm hungry to see our church continue to lean into the relationships that God has placed around us. 
I don't think it's good enough to just say that the world doesn't want our truth. I, I, I really don't think that that's the answer to a world that has rejected objective truth. I'm, I'm, I desire in my, my deepest, the deepest parts of who I am, I desire for each and every one of us to see our friends and our family and our coworkers and the people that we do life with, with, with such a, a desire for them to know who Jesus Christ is that nothing could stop us from, from sharing the truth of Jesus with them in the ways in which Jesus would have us do it. If we are surprised at where the world is today, we shouldn't be surprised. This is where the world ends up when it rejects Jesus. But if we want to envision a better future, we can't rely on a prime minister. We can't rely on an educational system that has been, become corrupt. We can't rely on these things that, that don't have Jesus in them. We have to trust that Jesus' rescue plan, he, he came on a rescue mission for sure died on a cross, that's all true. But he also put the, 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 the responsibility in the hands of the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And, and it's my belief that it's, if we can get this deep enough in us, this desire to share the truth of Jesus with the world around us, that we will actually see changes in our society in our lifetime. That we would actually see changes in Waterloo Region in our lifetime because we got serious about holding to truth and living it out in the way in which Jesus would Call, the, call us to live it out. And so right now, rather than going into all of the rest that I wanted to, what I want us to do is just, can we close our eyes and just center ourselves into, can we just start to communicate with the Holy Spirit in this room? Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. And right now, the, the, the thing that, that I would love for all of us to do is actually to picture some of the people that we do life with. In many ways right now, like I, I picture my uncle, somebody who I've been praying for for years. Some of you might want to picture a neighbor or maybe a maybe somebody at work. And can you just hold that 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 image of that individual in your mind? And can you just begin to pray that God would help you to share the truth and love with them? Even this week, pray for opportunity. Pray that God would do what you cannot do in your own strength. Just wherever you find yourself, don't, don't pray quietly, pray aloud. Pray, pray that God would begin to move in that situation where you feel like there's been closed doors. May you just, just begin to pray that God would open the doors. And what we're gonna do is we begin to worship. I'm gonna come back up and I'm gonna lead us in, in a prayer to close off this morning. But as we begin to pray, my hope is that in this room, we would begin to decide that we would take action as the church of Jesus Christ. That we would follow the example that the word set, set for us as he walked this earth that he created. So as we begin to worship, just pray that God would sink this truth and this desire deep within our hearts this morning. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.